was actually expecting a deliverer. They were looking for someone to come and to rescue them from oppression, from the Romans who had oppressed them. They had been conquered and uh, were under Roman rule. They were paying taxes to the Romans, taxes to Herod. They were totally uh, in this situation that they had no real control over what was going on in their lives. And they're wanting to have freedom and that's what they thought Jesus had come to do was that he was the, you know, when they said that he was the Messiah, remember that in us, that, that, that represents one thing because we're looking at backwards. But to them, what they're thinking is he's going to deliver us and he is going to deliver them, but he's not going to deliver them like they want to be delivered. He's going to deliver their spirit, their soul from the bondage of sin. And that's what he that's what he came to proclaim, his, his real deliverance, his real freedom. Now, here's how God works. God sets the inside free, which inevitably will set the outside free. But what these guys were wanting is set us, free us on the outside so we can be free on the inside. And that isn't how God works. It's not about that he makes everything perfect around you and then you become perfect on the inside. The reality is of what scripture teaches us is we change internally and then that changes everything externally. Now Romans 12, and which I'll get into this on Wednesday night, Romans 12 too, says don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, right? To receive the word of God into our light. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Because the world, no matter what you do in the world or what's happening in the world, you will only become conformed to that. You will not be transformed by that. Conform, conformation is temporal, temporary. Conformation, conforming to something is temporal. Transformation is eternal. I love what Stephen said earlier, and I, I thought that was so powerful, that Jesus didn't just come to set us free in our, in our body, but he came to set our conscience free. I love that, because listen, I'm going to tell you what, I battle more in my conscience than I do in my body, and you do too. It's, that's the battleground. That's your mind. That's your will, your emotions. That's your past life that you've lived. That's all that sin that you still remember, but you're trying to forget about. Can you say amen? So Jesus is going to bring this message to, these, to his disciples. Now, you know, remembering here that they're thinking that the counterculture message is Jesus is going to raise up an army. We're going to overcome the Romans. We're finally going to be liberated and set free. Jesus' plan ultimately is, is that he will pay for the sins of mankind and he will provide the opportunity through his body and his blood that mankind can experience eternal redemption and transformation. Glory to God. But remember, even in the end, when it came up to the book of Acts, when Jesus had already resurrected, we're at up at Acts chapter 1, and verse, uh, verses 6 and 7 there, and 8, the disciples look at Jesus, and what do they say to him? Lord, now this is after, they've spent, all right, they have spent several days with Jesus now, it's the almost, it, they've spent all this time with him. He's talked with them after he has resurrected. And what do they say to him? Lord, will you now restore 
your kingdom. So how are, what's their mindset still? They're still thinking the Messiah is going to liberate us from, going to wipe out, going to take this all out, take these Romans out and give us the freedom that we need. And the Lord said, look, it's not for you guys to know the times and the seasons, but here's what you need to do. He said, go be endued with power from on high in Jerusalem. He said, and then you will be witnesses for me, witnesses to me, showing forth that I'm alive, that my power is still real, that I'm still very present and uh, with you as my disciples and go into all the world and preach the gospel. That really wasn't the message they wanted to hear. They wanted to hear, yes, I'm going to take over. I'm wiping the Romans out. I'm God. I take care of everything, right? I got it all covered. That isn't what he came to do. He came to set men free. He came to set men free internally, which will set men free externally. Everybody say that with me. Internally affects externally. Now, what you and I have to watch in our lives, I'll come back around to this, is we got to be careful that we don't let the external begin to affect the internal. And that's what this sermon is about. <laughs> it's how he starts it. I mean, his introduction, you know, it tells us here, and if you're reading with me, you can see in verse 1, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and when he was seated, when he, when he was seated his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth. So his disciples come to him, and he opens his mouth, and he teaches them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's interesting, you know, in your Bible, and you're familiar with this, the Beatitudes. And Beatitudes is a, it comes from a Latin word, but what it really means in the actual Greek text here, it's mac, makarios, and it means to be happy. In fact, if you have an Amplified Bible, happy is one of the words that's right there before the word uh, blessed. blessed. Blessed, I guess, could take on a lot of different connotations, but happy is a, is a adjective, this word that's used, makrios, that it actually is an adjective, which means this is what defines you. You're happy now. You're happy. And so uh, in our lives, he's saying, look, happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he starts out with all these guys, it's talking to all of them, and, and the first thing he says is, be happy. Right? And they're like, ah, have you seen what's going on around us? This is a countercultural message, I'm telling you right now. What Jesus is teaching here, nobody else was teaching. And by the way, some of you have look, are looking at me, I'm thinking you've never heard anything like this before. But see, what he's saying is, look, happy. Guys, be happy. This is, God wants you happy in your life. And so he says, here's how you have real happiness in your life. Be poor in spirit, and you'll have the kingdom of heaven. Well, what, what, 
in the world does that mean? What does that mean for me? And what he's basically saying here is the key to walking in the kingdom is that you and I bring nothing to the table. We're poor in spirit. We have nothing to bring. That it all begins that basically we go back to zero when we come to God, that we're living our lives at zero saying, God, you determine the direction that I go. God, you're the one to experience your kingdom. I can't come with all what I want and then convey that over on what you've said. I've got to come with what you want and what you have said. You know, we always talk about how, um, I'll get into this a little bit on Wednesday night, but how that the scripture for you and I, the word of God carries with it two things. It carries within it God's intention, what he meant, and you can't get something out of a scripture that God did not mean. You can think you're getting it, but you're not gonna get it, all right? So God's intention, that's the DNA of God. That's his de declaration, that's his providence. That's what he's already said. This is the outcome. This is what this will produce in your life. So it carries two things. Jesus talked about that the word of God is like seed in Mark chapter four. If you look at a seed, a seed has within it Intention, the, the, the DNA of the seed. Uh, corn produces corn, beans produce beans. All those things follow after kind. And so what he's saying is, look, the, the, the intention, the, the word is like the seed that it already carries within it what God wants you to have. And the Bible teaches, or excuse me, the Bible teaches us that that scripture, that when we receive it into our lives, that we become partakers, according to the book of Peter, of his divine nature. Why? Because the word carries the divine nature within it. Well, I thought you'd amen that better. And that word, when we receive that word into our lives, the real power that's within that is, is that not only does the seed have to have the divine intention within it, but it also has to have ability within it to produce the divine intention. You missed a good place to shout right there. That means the word of God carries within it the power to produce what God intended. And when we receive the, as James tells us in chapter one, the engrafted word, which is able to save our soul, that that word has within it intention and it has within it power and that leads to transformation, that leads to productivity. What he's saying here is that look, Bless, happy, be happy when you're poor because you're in the right place. If you're poor in spirit, you're coming to the table saying, I'm not bringing my own intention here. I just came here, God, to fulfill your intention. I came here to do your will, Lord, whatever that is. Dr. Hagen taught us uh, years ago that, that, look, faith begins where the will of God is known. When we know what the word of God says, then we already know God's intention is in that word. And so we know that, look, we don't, that's why it tells us in the book of John, man, I'm preaching a lot of scriptures. Hallelujah. But in John, he tells us in chapters 5, 14, and 15, this is the confidence we have in him if we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And then what? And we have the petition that we've desired. Faith begins where the will of God is known. We make those declarations. 
So what he's talking about here is he's saying, look, you're poor in spirit means you're coming to the table with nothing. You're just coming and saying, I don't have anything here that I can bring, Lord God. I'm just coming to you. I need answers from you. I need your help. And that's called what I call that. And what the Lord spoke to me about this with is that's called recalibrating. And we're going to need to do this consistently in our lives because lives, life use, you know, I had a, a gun that was out of calibration. The scope was out of calibration. And that rifle, to, uh, actually we found out the scope was way off. And Ken was looking at it for me and, and uh, we found out the scope wasn't right. So we had to put a new scope on it. And, but you still have to calibrate it to that rifle. The only way you can calibrate something is, is that you've got to take it down to zero and then you start moving it a click. And when you move it to clicks, then you're moving your sights to get them accurate so that you're hitting your target where you need to hit it. Light, why does a gun get out of calibration? Because you use it. And so things change. Dynamics change. Life is dynamic. And so we have to constantly recalibrate. We have to come back to the table, not saying to God, hey, God, this is what I need you to do. Putting demands on God. I'm telling you, that's wrong. All right. That's wrong. We don't come to God telling God how to do things. Now, you have a right to demand if God said that's yours. I'm not saying you can't come to God and say, Lord, you said this. That's mine. I received that. I'm taking that. But what I'm saying is you don't get to put the intention on the word. You don't get to do that. So you have to recalibrate. Life will, you know, if you've gone through this, this you know, the, 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 the world, what it's going through and the things that are going on in the world, the influence of the media that we deal with, the influence of family that we deal with, the influence of, remember, in, <laughs> intimidation is the work of the enemy that's a work of the enemy and that intimidation and you've had to deal with that in your life you have to re you got to come back to the table empty and say hey lord i need to recalibrate my thinking that's what this sermon is about that's what he's really trying to deal with he goes on i got i don't have a, a whole lot of time to to do this this morning but uh i'm going to get through it in jesus name amen blessed are those who mourn for they, they will be comforted. Have you lost anything in the last 10 years that you're still mourning over? Things that you've st you're still, still thinking about, things that you're still wondering about, still questioning God about? You're mourning, you're grieving over that situation. And he said, look, blessed are those. That's, it's not wrong that you're mourning. It's just that you have to realize that God's plan isn't that you live in perpetual mourning. but that you would be comforted. What does the word comforted here mean? Paracleo, it's, it's that, this, that God is right beside you. He's with you. That's that never walk alone song that we just sang, that I, I've never been alone. And I know, like I said, sometimes, hey, it does feel like we're alone. It feels like we're fighting this by ourselves. It feels, you know, but that doesn't change or alter that who God is or that God doesn't have a plan that he's working. And he knows when to show up. I said he knows when to show up. He always knows when to show up. But see, the pressure we deal with is just like what the disciples dealt with. Do it now. 
Isn't that it? Isn't that what we do? We do it now. Straighten my kid out now. God, I, listen, I, ain't got I don't have time. You know, straighten them out now. You need to get them in line. Get my husband in line now. I need that money yesterday. Get it here now. I'm tired of feeling this pain. I want it now. Now. That's what the disciples were doing. See, that's how they were responding. Fix my problem and it will make everything better. And Jesus is saying, happy are those that who realize that your poor spirit, that you have nothing to bring to the table. Happy are those who are mourning because they'll be comforted in their mourning. He goes on and says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit, <laughs> for they shall inherit the earth. And of course, this word meekness doesn't mean weakness. It's not talking about being weak. Actually, if you study this word out that's used here for meekness, it means it, it's used as a reference term for how they would take a strong stallion and that they would actually train it to do what they wanted it to do. Look, the stallion's still strong. It just has a greater purpose now. Amen. So it's not meekness. To be meek is not, Jesus was meek. But he was also extremely powerful. I mean, come on, on the cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels, right? I mean, over, anytime. Could he have wiped the Romans out? Yeah, man. I mean, you, you do realize that he could have at any moment just came in, became all that he is, and wiped the Romans out. Could have wiped them out instantly. But he became a man because he knew as he became a man that he would suffer and die for mankind to, to set them free from what their real problem was, separation from God, not the Roman government. Let me tell you something. Your real problem in your life is not the government. Your real problem is not who's in charge. Your real problem is not your job. Your real problem isn't your spouse. Your real, your real problem is you're separated from God somehow in the midst. You've let life separate you from God. You say, well, I still believe in God. Well, I didn't say you didn't believe in God. I'm just saying you've allowed this to become a dividing point in your life. This happened, I'm mourning, I'm not getting over it. I'm not getting, there are people still not getting over stuff. Get over it, man. Move on. There's too much life to live. Hallelujah. Man, pastor, this is really good preaching. We're going to send you to Florida more time. More, yeah, send you. He said, for, Blessed are the meek, they're going to inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Now, it's interesting. These first four things that he says are all about drawing near to God. All four of them are. The next four he talks about is how that we would respond back to the world system. But you can't do the, four, the next four without doing the first four. If you look at those next ones, he says that blessed are the merciful, for they will obtain mercy. He said, blessed are the pure in heart, they'll see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. And then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So the first four are all about you and I having to come to the table and saying, I bring nothing to the table, I need your help. And 
you know, when you think about it in, uh, in, the, in the Psalms, it teaches us in Psalm 51, 17, that God dwells with those with a broken heart, that he, that he comes, it's not that he's like, I'm gonna break you so that I can be with you. It's that he knows that life will break you and you'll realize at some point that life is not gonna give me what I want. It's not gonna make me, it's not gonna make me happy. He never said here, you'll be happy because you got enough stuff. Because I'm going to tell you, I've been to some of your homes, you got enough stuff. I've been in some of your garages, you can't even move in your garage because you got so much stuff. I've met people that they actually can't even park in their garage anymore because all it is is stuff. It's just expensive storage space. The Message Bible does a really great job. You know, the Message Bible, I I don't take it as a literal translation. It's a transliteration. So it's his thoughts as he does this. But I wanted to read these to you out of the Message Bible. And it says that, uh, I thought this was so cool. He says, uh, this is the blessed are the poor in spirit. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care at the, moment, at the moment of being careful, you find yourself cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. See, there's your pure in heart. They'll see God. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me, Jesus is saying. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even, for though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds. And know that you're in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Hallelujah. Pretty powerful thoughts, isn't it? You know, this week we celebrate our independence, our declaration of independence. And I don't know if you've ever read the whole Declaration of Independence. Um, uh, the first part of it is one that we typically remember. The rest of it is all the charges against the king <laughs> and what he was doing to the people. And I mean, you just like, I mean, we just think like, well, England was just ruling over, you know, and collecting taxes. No, England was controlling everything. The king was controlling everything. He was out of control. 
When they made the Declaration of Independence, it was that they felt under God's guidance. And we'll talk a little bit about this this week and when we talk about the governments in Romans, in Romans 13. But um, that how that they made a declaration in the beginning of this that, and you'll remember some of these words, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and listen to this last part, and the pursuit of happiness. Happiness. And the pursuit of happiness. You know, this opening statement that Jefferson put down really speaks to the whole heart and idea of what Jesus was trying to say in those first four Beatitudes. That look, what we have comes from God. We have been endowed by our Creator with rights and privileges, not by government, not by the, not by the world system, but by God Almighty. Unalienable rights are life and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Happy are the poor in spirit. Years ago, they came together to do what was called the Westminster Confession, the small catechism. They wanted to create some things to, to teach young people and to come to some congruency, some, some, some stability in what the church believed. And the, one of the things that they asked, what is the chief end of man? Why is man even here? Why did God even make man? And they came back with this as they studied the scripture, and this is taken from Psalm 145. Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But that's really God's plan is to, and when we start thinking things like a bigger car or a better car or a bigger house or a better house, or we start thinking better food or all these other things that somehow that will help us to glorify God and enjoy him forever, then we have misplaced, we have misplaced our expectation. We've misplaced our expectation. So I want to ask you some questions and we'll wrap up this morning. Does your commitment to Christ provoke persecution? Now I'm not talking about does your commitment to a certain political party provoke persecution. I'm asking you a question of, does your, your commitment to Christ provoke persecution in your life? Are you a peacemaker? Do you strive to bring peace around you with people, not strife? Has the outside world overtaken your inside world? Do you have empathy for those in need? Empathy is different than sympathy. So sympathy is I feel bad about it, you know. Empathy is I have compassion. I'm going to do, I want to do something to help them. Empathy also is recognizing that I have had similar experiences and I'm reaching out to them because I've come through mine and people help me get through mine. That's what we do here at, this, in the, at the altars for prayer when we pray at the end is, is that that's a it's an empathetic time because what's happening is these people are praying for you because they've been through stuff 
and they want to help you get through your stuff. Can you say amen? amen. We have to have empathy in the world. We can't, look, God, called, God has had empathy towards us. He became one of us so that he could, have, so he could go through. He went through everything. He felt everything we feel. He, goes through, he, he dealt with everything we deal with or have to deal with. And he has empathy. He has empathy. You know, sometimes empathy can not be a lot that we can do, but we can always pray for people that are going through stuff. You know, these folks that just, just went through the, the terrible, terrible uh, tornadoes that just blew through the center of the state. I, we should have empathy for them. You know, what Stevie's going through, right? You know, dealing with this morning. That's empathy. And God moves in empathy. Jesus, when he saw people, he was moved with compassion. He was moved from within. It wasn't like he was like, man, I really feel sorry for those guys. That's not, that's sympathy. That's not empathy. Empathy says, I want to do, that's what the merciful do. They show mercy. They, they look for people to help. Sympathy is I look at a person that's begging and go, I, you know, wow, I really feel bad that you're in a bad spot. Empathy says, I'll pull out of my pocket what I can and give it to them to help them. I can't fix all your problem, but I can at least help you. Do you have empathy for those in need? Are you hungry and thirsty for more of Christ in your life? Jeannie talked about that, sang that song. I'm not going to sing this one, but... Uh, the Gaithers used to sing it, more of you, more of you. I've had all of what I need, just more of you. Of things I've had my fill, and yet I hunger still, empty and bare. Lord, hear my prayer for more of you, for more of you. I'm not trying to find just some new frame of mind. Amen. That will change my old point of view. For I've been through it all deep inside. Nothing's changed. I'm not new. I'm not seeking a gift or emotional lift, but one thing I'm longing to do is to lift up my cup and let you fill it up with just you, Lord. More of you, more of you. I've had all but what I need, just more of you. Of things I've had my fill, and yet I hunger still. Empty and bare, Lord, hear my prayer for more of you. So in our hearts, are we reaching out to God, saying, Lord, I hunger and thirst. Hunger and thirst is interesting, Some, you know, to have both of those at the same time. Uh, usually when we're hungry, we're not thirsty. We're just hungry. And when we're thirsty, we're not hungry. We're, we're just thirsty. But to be both means to be totally in a deprived situation that I know nothing's going to fill this except God. As the psalmist said, oh, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul longeth after you are you here's the next one are you content are you content in your life blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth another question are you still grieving or have you let God fill the emptiness have you let God fill the emptiness? And then the, the last one, blessed are the spirit, poor in spirit, have you surrendered control? Have you surrendered control? 
And here's my question just to close this morning. Are you happy? Are you happy? Are you truly happy? Not based off what you have, but on who you have. And who has you. Well, Pastor, you know, look, you don't have to think long and hard. I don't have a deep, in-depth, dynamic definition of what happy means. You know what that's like to be happy, to, exp- to live your life happy. And here's Jesus. He's on this mountain talking to his disciples and all these people, and he's telling them all this stuff, and they want him to set them, get, fix my problems, Lord. Just fix them, and everything will be okay if you just fix this mess. And God's, Jesus' response is, no, I'm going to fix you. Wasn't anything wrong with me. It's my kids. Anything wrong with me? It's that woman I married. Yeah. I just need more money. That's my problem. Now fix that. My body hurts. Just get rid of this pain and I'll be okay. And the Lord knows you're not going to be okay. Give me what I want and I'll be all right. Baloney, he already knows you. And you know you too. You're not going to be happy because that's not where happiness comes from. Happiness comes from drawing near to God. And if you're letting stuff push you away from God, then you're being conformed to the world system. The world's winning, but it doesn't have to. And today can be that day that you make a decision. That's it. I will be happy because I will seek what God has provided for me. And that is that I can come to his table. Do you know how powerful that is that we can even come to the table? We have no right. (laughs) We have no right to be at the table. And yet he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Stand up with me if you would. Calibration. It's tough to go back to zero. I mean, it just is. It's just, we get to thinking in ourselves that we've got it figured out. We know how it's all going to happen. We know what God's going to do. And to calibrate means that I abandon all that and just go, look, I need to get settled back here to a focal point with God. That I'm not bringing anything to the table, God. It's whatever you want to do. It's whatever you want to do. It's how you want to do it. It's what you've said. That's how I'm coming to the table. I'm coming to the table. So I look to you for more of you. More of you. Bow your heads with me if you would. Look, all of this begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you find yourself in a place today where you're not close, you're, you're far from God. And I don't mean that you don't believe in God or think about God or maybe even talk about God, but I mean you find yourself in a place that you know that you're far from God. You're, you, 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 you wouldn't be able to discern if that was God or not right now because it's just the world has just done its number 
And I'm going to ask you right now, just as a, if you would like us to, I'm going to pray for all of us here in just a few moments. Uh, and we'll pray together. But if you say, Pastor, look, I'm far from God. I know it. I want to get right with God today. I want to get my life right with God. I'm just going to ask you just, if you'd raise your hand in the air right now, just let me know, and I'm going to pray with you. I'll pray. We'll all pray. Thank you. I'll, we'll all pray together. Is there anyone else here say, that's me? Yeah, look, man, you're talking to me today. And just lift your hand, and I'll, I'll pray. Thank you. Thank you. Just lift your hand up, and I'll pray. Thank you. Amen. All over the building. See, look, it's, this is the real stuff. This, what I'm talk, what, this sermon is about the real stuff. That's why we need to spend some time in it. This is the real stuff of life. Is there anyone else? Once you've lifted your hand, you can put it down. But uh, is there, we're all going to pray in just a moment. We're going to make things right. Maybe you've never accepted Christ in your life. Maybe you knew him when you were a kid, but you got far away from all the things of God. This is your moment. So is there anyone else before we pray? You just say as an act before you and God, I need to get right with God. Raise your hand and I'll pray with you today. Amen. Thank you, Father God. All right, let's all pray this together. Say this out loud with me. Lord Jesus, you suffered and died to give me new life. Today, I choose you. I choose you, Lord. I turn from sin and I turn to you. I will draw near you. And I thank you, Lord. As I draw near to you, you draw near to me. I'm grateful, Lord, for the salvation you give me. Today is a new day. Today is a new day. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with me, for loving me, bringing the right people into my life, and guiding my steps. In Jesus' name, amen. Give the Lord a good hand, if you would. Amen. If I could have the prayer team come up, we're going to have the opportunity for prayer. Jesus is aware of what you're going through. He's, he's, he's not.